keep on kissing babies and hugging fat girls. Full of suffering, suck attach, son. It's me, Austin. Oh, son of a bitch. What? It's me, Austin. It was me all along, Austin. And you teeth look like two tight too, Billy. And you book a match with me. That's right, Killing. Look at me. I'm a total package. I will rip him apart. I'm pissed now. Where to, Stephanie? <laughs> Wrestle Roasts on ad-free shows and ATC. Welcome everyone to Wrestle Roasts. I'm your host Robert Karpolis and I am joined once again in crystal clear HD audio better than what Hobbs had on Dynamite. Scott Chaplin. Scott, how are you? What up, brother? Love it. Welcome welcome back. Uh, I'm always nervous. Every time. I'm sorry. Every time you say it, I'm afraid I'm going to start talking and sound like a robot to you. Uh, so I just don't trust it yet, and I'm sorry, Wi-Fi, that I don't, don't trust you. But I was in a bad Wi-Fi relationship before this. Yes, you you were in some ab- things I got to figure out. You were in an abusive Wi-Fi relationship. It only cut out on you because it loved you. Yeah, I mean, and everybody told me for months they were like, "You got to leave. You got to you got to leave this Wi-Fi." And I was like, "No, no, it knows my mother. You know, it's complicated." <laughs> oh man, um, I look. I get it. I. I, when I started working from home, I had to upgrade to like gig speed Wi-Fi, which is insane. And it still lags and is slow and causes issue. I'll be on like work calls or work video things and I'll get like strange lags. And I keep wanting to be like, well, when I do my podcast, it sounds good. But then I sound like a you know fucking loser when I say that. So I can't. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. But no, fuck them. They're the losers for not being here. You, the forbidden dorks, happy you're here. Uh, it's look, this is kind of the best part of the week. We get to sit and just fucking talk wrestling at the top. I'm going to do a little bit of the Dan promotion stuff. Uh, I know we took a break for a little bit, but next week we are coming back with a roast. Uh, we will be doing the roast of TKO, the new, uh, WWE UFC merged entity, uh, gives us a lot of space to, to go after some things and also ensure since we're doing this week in advance, uh, that if we picked a wrestler and he died between now and then, we would have wasted those jokes. So rest easy, Rick the Model Martell. Uh, we're we're not coming for you just yet. But uh, I'm excited to, to bring back some roast, Scott. Yeah, I am too. Once uh, every, you know, once every, oh no, I was going to say once every major holiday, but then we'd have to do three in a row but maybe that's fair for the people we'll see we'll, we'll see we'll, we'll do it well keep in mind guys let's let's just because we got you know we're in october um and i don't know how it is where you are scott but like this morning the my neighborhood was putting the christmas lights up on the uh on the guard gates so it's already christmas and it's not even halloween <laughs> i think i think that's them choosing a side on the on the israel palestine issue <laughs> well no that's hey that's that's picking that's picking israel on that one it's not like they're uh they're putting up i don't know what you would put up to support palestine there's no joke i can make that won't get me canceled so i'm just gonna say we love uh we support pro israel. wrestling we love pro wrestling that's what we that's what we fucking love and what, what we're gonna be doing look we're getting into the holiday season which means uh, if you are not part of the Patreon, 
uh, this December, we're doing our annual tradition. We will be doing our live uh, Christmas holiday uh, wrestle roast party. If you've if you've been on those in the past, they're fun. We do cameo Secret Santa. Uh, we'll line it up. We'll get Mike here. We'll get Dan here. Maybe even Zach will show up. You never you never fucking know. Those things can get wild. Uh, but oh, I uh, love that. Yeah, that'll be coming up. But no, we'll we'll be back this weekend with some some Patreon goodness. Uh, but we got look, we got stuff to talk about today. Uh, we're gonna be talking about uh Vince being uh sidelined by Ari Emanuel. We kind of it it kind of broke while we were recording last week, and now we know what the lay of the land looks like. So we're gonna talk that. Uh, we're gonna talk dynamite or dud, which is also gonna lead to talk a little bit about Sting. Uh, and then briefly touching on the, the believe it of all things, the news from the NWA. So uh, strange week across the board here on pro wrestling. But uh, but first, yeah, kind of the big news story that uh, that happened. We touched on a little bit on the Patreon, but Ari Emanuel uh, cut Vince's balls off, Scott. Yeah, man, he really did it. We, is, I think well, it was you that predicted it, right? Yeah, I, I had said that you predicted exactly this kind of what was going to happen was going to happen, which is they needed Vince to close the deal. And as soon as that deal was closed, uh, they were going to kick him to the curb. And now the messaging coming out of uh, TKO is Triple H is in full control of creative. Ari Emanuel does not like multiple uh, people overseeing something. There's there's one person where the decision lies, and in his mind, the decision lies with Hunter. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I th- there's that piece in me. Like as you were saying this, I'm picturing Vince being sad and alone, alone, but he's allowed to be sad and alone. Speaking of sad and alone, <laughs> yes. Speaking of sad and alone, just connected to the audience. Literally, you said the word "sad and alone," and he appeared uh, live from his bed. It's Mike Lawrence. Who has disturbed my slumber? <laughs> uh, well, uh, Mr. Lawrence is here. We were just talking about how Ari Emanuel uh, basically neutered Vince, and now Hunter is in charge of creative. Uh, and has plenary authority to do what he wants uh, under the new Ari Emanuel world. And I think, you know, we kind of all feel uh, this This is a, this will be good. This will be good that there will be one unified creative voice and that it ain't Vince. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't wait um, till Motorhead headlines the Hall of Fame ceremony this year. <laughs> the hologram of Lemmy. <laughs> Triple H isn't in by himself yet, right? Uh, no, he is. He has Probably. not gone in by himself. But DX has. DX has gone in, yeah. So, so Hunter's in with that. But yeah. I feel like he'll be like Vince in the whole like, well, I, I don't need to go in because I'm kind of bigger than it. Um, but if they need a legend, I guess you could you could drag Hunter out there and and let him go into the Hall of Fame, and then he gets to cut himself off. Yeah, I mean, look, I, 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 I'm glad I came in now and not during Dynamite because it's a bad week to complain about the juice. But uh, Jesus, um, yeah. I think that I think this is a good idea. I mean, look, like I think the last few years of WWE creatively have been, you know, some of their best in uh, at least the last twenty years. 
I think if nothing else, it kind of gives you confidence if you're watching the product that you can get invested in what's going on and not worry that there's going to be this insane course correction like two months later. It's it's one guy's vision, and it's a vision that, at least broadly speaking, people seem to be on board with. Yeah. It'd be nice to have a wrestling company not booked by an out-of-touch billionaire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So since you, you were on last week, I mean, you you – we're on the thread. You saw all the Tony Khan tweets. Uh, oh my God. What was, what was like going? Cause we, we talked about the first round of them on the show last week, the second round, the whole, you know, WWE came after me cause my mom was in the hospital. We touched on, on Patreon, but like as, as you know, kind of an outsider of looking at these, what was going through your mind? Um, you know, it's nice that Tony has some affection for a woman in his life. Jesus. You know, uh, he only visited her at 925. Uh, <laughs> I, I I think that I think that it's look like it was interesting in the Facebook thread. Someone was like, oh, it's harmless that he does. I don't think it's harmless. I think it's harmful. I think that, you know, I've always steadfastly believed uh, focus on your product, like all this other shit, like. No one cares about, I mean, you know, because a part of the problem, too, is he's just, it's so fascinating, right? Because he has the good sense to not make himself an authority figure on the TV show. And and I think we, as much as we'd love making fun of that, I think that's a good decision. But then he still needs to be the face of the company and the voice of it. So it's like, if you're going to do those uncomfortable-ass press conferences, uh and this i think it's too much like i I think that he just doesn't i think he's so it's hard to say out of touch because i don't think this guy's ever been in touch in his life and you really see how broken his thoughts are when he just expresses them and you know he always needs to be a victim even in the punk situation like all every situation, and it's just it's not a good look for an authority figure. It's weird because Vince, to some degree, did this to try to get an us versus them mentality, where it was me against the U.S. government, me against Ted Turner, um, me against the Parent Television Council. But it was never like these these me against for, nails. Him against nails. Uh, but they were never like personal. I feel like Tony so badly wants to make the AEW WWE thing a personal war when I don't think they view him like that. And I think that probably bothers him more than anything. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's like you look at like Vince, you know, and Vince, like the dirty laundry is always out there. If they fire someone, they let the public know, you know, like when they're assholes, they, don't mind looking like assholes to everybody and then you look at like tony and the way that people just disappear off the show you know there's never public statements or anything um you know i i still think like the big swole thing was what like two two and a half years ago i still remember it as like one of his first ugly uh public moments on twitter and i, I don't think he's gotten better it's just you know, the, the mom stuff, if you look at that individually, like there is like some sympathy to it. 
but it came right after the Cena and Undertaker stuff. And it's like, and it was clear he was a sore loser, you know, and the rating stuff and everything. It's like, dude, you bragged about beating NXT a couple years ago, and now they beat you. And look, they they did bring in a lot of the big guns to do it, but they they did they did they beat them. And it's like just fucking take the loss on the chin, dude. Well, Mike, of course they beat NXT. You can't. AEW is always going to crush Adam Cole, Roderick Strong, Keith Lee. Those guys are fucking nobodies. <laughs> I'd love you. So yeah, it's part of the fun of it. But like the Vince thing, him kind of going away now, and it's almost like you can breathe a little bit watching WWE programming and not worry that he's going to come back and all of a sudden the stuff that people seem to be enjoying is going to get replaced with like Seth Rollins now has IBS and in the middle of a match he's going to shit himself and that's how he's going to lose the title. Yeah, I mean, you know, the fun thing about Vince is he always gives you something entertaining to laugh at. Like, even just like in, you know, the last couple months, the fucking... The mustache and the face yes. are just beautiful. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you did like, like that was better than succession, you know, fucking uh, Logan Roy did not fall as hilariously as, as Vince did in real life. It was pretty amazing. It was, yeah, it's, it's been pretty great. I'm sad that he hasn't appeared on TV with the mustache. I think that's the one thing we're we're missing is not been on Raw or SmackDown with that stupid little mustache. And I guess maybe save it for for Crown Jewel, give the people what they want. But I I'd be excited for it. But it's crazy now. Shane's gone, Stephanie's gone, Vince is now essentially out. The company's owned by another entity. It's a weird weird time for for WWE. And you have Tony Khan doubling down on the other station. It was fascinating. You know, it's it's so interesting when you look at it, like, as a whole piece of history, just the rise of Triple H in the company and, uh, you know, the awful early 2000s run of his, the Booker T, and, like, and to where he's gotten. It's, it's kind of impressive. I mean, because I think... Like even people that aren't fans of Triple H the wrestler or or some of the programs, I think people overall do like Paul Levesque. He's an easy guy to get along with because he has a a love and respect for professional wrestling in a way that was different than Vince. Like he came at it in the I grew up loving Harley Race. I love the NWA stuff, but I also enjoyed the WWF stuff. And he came up as a fan who became a performer and wants to just make the best product for wrestling fans. Whereas Vince is a guy who just wanted the love of Hollywood and was saddled with, I got to, the only way I can get in the front door is with this wrestling shit. So I'm going to make it uh, as unwrestling as possible. And, and also Hunter doesn't have the, the humiliation kink that Vince does of wanting to just belittle and embarrass people. Well, it's also what's what's fascinating is that, like, you know, Vince, Vince's story, one of, one of the most fascinating stories, I think, even in just American business. All right. Like. He surpassed his father, 
easily as a wrestling promoter. You know, his father who abandoned him, then he fucking beats his dad. Um, but the fact that I think in his mind, beating his dad meant being uh, respected outside of wrestling, and that never happened. And 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 I don't think it ever was. I don't think it ever could happen. It is unfortunate because, yeah, objectively speaking, if he was in any other medium and you tell the story of the guy who had the life that he did and then basically bought the company from his dad for a million bucks and is now worth billions and is a global empire, if it was any other thing but wrestling, he would be studied in business classes. He would be celebrated. But because it's wrestling, he's marginalized and he's made himself into – this kind of crazy fictionalized version where he's attacking Bob Costas. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and he's a guy too, who genuinely did read the tea leaves saw where just entertainment in general was going and the, the global nature of it, that the world, you know, this was before the internet even, but he sensed that the world was getting much smaller and, you know, capitalized on that. It's like, it's kind of brilliant. It's just, you know, he also, you know, stayed on too long. Uh, but, you know, I would know nothing about um, being a part of a show with a guy who has been there forever. <laughs> well, that is a, a not at all a segue into the the other question that uh, I, I think we want to we want to ask. Um, if you guys have been living under a rock, I'm sure you saw the news uh, that at Saturday Night Live this week, they had a major surprise guest. Uh, Mike Lawrence was there at Saturday Night Live. Uh, it was all over the place. I mean, Mike, of all the weeks to to be uh, a part of that show, holy shit, dude, you were like front and center for uh, a wild, wild time. And and I, for one, am just dying to hear what the hell this was like. It was, man, it was, you know, it's amazing. It's, it, uh, I, I had a great time, you know. So basically I was... Uh, I was hired because people even ask me questions and I was hired as a guest writer by Pete. So when a, when a host comes in, they can bring in a couple of their guys to, to help with everything if they want. And, and usually comedians do that more likely than, you know, anyone. Um, and so, uh, you know, I was there, I, I got to see the pitch meeting. I mean, the thing is, you know, it's fascinating, right? Like, it, there are parallels to wrestling in that it's a weekly live show, and that's a crazy thing to do. And look, they do have an off season, um, and uh, WWE does not, but it's still a monumental task to just, you know, things were changed and rewritten, you know, and and every week, right? There's a dress rehearsal, unlike wrestling, and you know, and sketches get cut and. You know, timing is so important. Like, all of that stuff. Like, just the... I, I gotta say, like... The, the the magic of the place is is real. In terms of the quick changes. The sets built. You know, like... It, like I, I think people know the process of it a bit. Of, you know, the Monday to Saturday. You know, and Monday, you know, you pitch. Tuesday, you write. Wednesday's the table read stuff gets selected and so Thursday to Saturday they're building those sets they're 
making the costumes they're finding the wigs you know like pete's thing the i'm just pete uh the barbie thing which so was amazing you know he wrote that with uh this brilliant music guy there dan bula and you know they filmed that on friday and then it's saturday night and it looks like the most professional like parody of a 200 million dollar movie it's crazy yeah that part of it filmed over like a, a week and a half at least i didn't realize they filmed that on friday yeah exactly and everything is within that week so you know it's it's crazy like all the pre-tapes and everything they 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 do the pre-tapes over like a day or two and it's that fast and you know these are like the the people there are the best people in the world at that job and you really see that and you know yeah lorne Lauren was there and he was like, I've been doing this for 49 years. Let's go. And that's like, even that is like so cool. And he's hands on as ever. And definitely uh, seems like a much more normal guy than Vince does not have a mustache, Uh, (laughs) you know, but is, is very involved. And I mean, it was, yeah, it was a crazy week. And are they they cool uh, about like, you coming in as you know a guest writer as an outsider it's just like hey we're all on the same team let's get this done or is there tribalism i'm just kind of curious what your takeaway was i think there was you know a little bit of that i think less so because pete's an alum yeah you know and uh, okay cool um and i think because and I'm, you know, in the comedy community and uh, I've, you know, been a New York comic and all that. Like a lot of the people there knew who I was. So that helped a lot. Um, they were, But they were nice, you know, and they uh, but they take stuff. You know, everyone pitches on everything and, you know, we all punch up each other's things. And, you know, it was interesting, like. uh I mean, it was, yeah, quite the week to be there in terms of, of, you know, the situation in the world and and how you address that and, like, uh, and, you know, Pete's opening and everything and just, you know, it seems like people received that really well. But, uh, you know, even hitting that right tone and and thinking of, like, what is the show's responsibility and everything and, you know... Um, yeah, it was it was definitely an interesting week in 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 those terms of like it was a you know, yeah, it was the season premiere. It was a big fucking week. It's you know, there's still an actor strike. Uh so you, you can't promote anything. Right, but this is this is an exempt show from the SAG strike. So they're able Yes, to but it's not that. exempt from all of those rules. Right. You, you but you know, it, it's, it's not It's allowed like... to exist, but like they still can't, yeah. Well, yeah, but you don't really need to promote Bupkis. It's a it's a worldwide sensation on its own, <laughs> and that wasn't a running gag on that show or anything, which uh, was was fun. And yes, the opening was good. I'm really disappointed you didn't pitch him to say that and then get knocked out by somebody holding a roll of quarters that said, you know, Jew. <laughs> that was a letdown, though. It did kind of feel like Russell Rose at one point because there was an Epstein Island joke, and I feel like somewhere Dan was vindicated. <laughs> and there was a sketch where he played a lawyer named Robert. Like it was the entire Russell Rose community was was covered. 
uh it was it was great and 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 and, and nowhere was a guy named scott on yeah that is a that is a shame but well no everybody on the, they should have one guy with bad wi-fi and it would have been fine uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah i mean you know it's but it was cool just playing in that playground and you know uh it, it, it's a bucket list thing like i could say i did it and uh that was a part of it i got a couple jokes in and different things uh you know it's, it's a fun fun thing and and yeah just the whirlwind pace of it i i have so much respect for that show and how how they do what they do and uh you know it's not it's not easy to do a, a weekly show without audio problems and without uh <laughs> <laughs> yes us and dynamite are both in that same bucket sometimes um, and Dude, it's yeah can we so you know because i wasn't here last week the uh and i'm sure you guys talked about it the quarter thing genuinely offended you right and that's okay that i'm not making fun of you for that so what offended me about it was not so and this is kind of what i said last week the underlying story didn't offend me as much as the timing that it was the same week the Israel stuff happened. And there was yeah. this just rampant anti-Semitism across the board at the same time you're doing this. And as much as we love you forbidden dorks, there's a sect of the wrestling audience that might not pick up on the subtle nuances of this story. And because Juice Robinson to a segment of the audience is cool Hey, it's really cool that he did this thing that week. I think narratively, you didn't need it because they are the the bullet like bullet club gold had enough that they've done to Max to justify Max wanting revenge. And I would have saved the coins thing because that was his friends betraying him in high school for Adam Cole to at least have it mean something. It's just I I'm I'm I think anything is fair game in comedy that never bothers me. But from a narrative structure. The same week that the Israel stuff was just going on is not the week to do a anti-Semitism story on on pro wrestling and hope that it's not going to look bad. Yeah, that's fair. And Scott, you, your thought was that Juice has done this before, so it's cool. Well, no, not just that. It's just that it it seems like this is a story Max wanted to tell. I don't know if you've also noticed they're doing this story with. Uh, Max and the and the acclaimed, where MJF is sort of like uh, it seems like where they're leading is MJF has some like homophobic tendencies and doesn't want to be this guy's friend because like, ew, you're being a little too gay with me, and MJF wanted to tell this subtle Jewish story which ended up not being so subtle again because of uh, it can't be subtle because of what's going on. Well, nothing about and, Juice Robinson is subtle. Well, that too. And yeah, no, no. So I, I think I agreed with Robert in terms of ah, this timing is really sticky. And obviously they dropped it. There was no acknowledgement of it this week in terms of the quarters. Uh, but I, I am all for MJF trying to tell a story. I, I think wrestling can tell a story that any show can tell. And I've seen shows tell stories like this. And so why not wrestling? But I also understand the average wrestling fan is sitting there going. Wait, what the fuck? With their thumb up their ass. And also, the, I think in his mind, the difference is now we want to see him kick Juice Robinson's ass, and he will. Whereas when Hunter did what he did to Booker, and he's like, 
you know, people like you shouldn't be champion. And then he beat Booker clean. That was a little bit more problematic in a lot of ways. I I think, you know, one of my issues with it is not just wrestling in itself, but, but this company uh, also just hasn't um, earned my trust to do these kind of nuanced stories just based on their lack of commitment to storytelling in general. <laughs> and, you know, and I think that it is like, even if Juice has done this before, to the average, even AEW audience member, quarters is more linked to MJF's trauma than Juice's gimmick. And oh, Taz yeah, I mean, and Taz, Taz makes that clear in the segment. Yeah, Taz immediately yeah. acknowledged it and said, that, you know, this is related to the, you know, the, the story Max had told. So the argument of, well, Juice had done this, if Juice was doing this on TV every week building up to it, uh, you know, we would have known. But again, it's Tony Khan who's like, well, in Avengers West Coast Almanac number seven, we referenced that he used quarters as a weapon and you should have remembered that. Like, not a thing. I mean, it's just fascinating because I think of it in, in, in terms of the experience I had and like, you know, yeah, what is the responsibility of a just a live show in general that exists around the world? Uh, you know, within the world, it's like, do you address outside events and all of that? And and I think, I think you 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 kind of have to. It's just you then have to decide which ones you address but don't actually uh, include in your storytelling. <laughs> right. And right. I mean, you know, you know, it was like my my thought. It, it was interesting that the thought I had about all of the stuff, you know, just within working on the show is that like none of this is resolved yet and it, it's not going to be for a long time. So it's like it's it's hard to treat what's going on in Israel and Palestine as you would treat like a Sandy Hook or a 9-11 even and of just like it's a continuing thing. Right. That it's, we don't. It's an, it's an active nightmare. It's not. Yes. You know, we have history and context on 9 11, which, I mean, to, to me, still feels like a fairly recent current event thing that happened. But then you realize that there's people who very much were not born when it occurred. And to them, it's ancient history in the way I probably think of like Pearl Harbor or something like that. So Pete Absolutely. being able to link them together and humanize it gave him a an avenue to talk about what's going on. And sympathizing with people and, and putting a human face on it without commenting directly on what's going on now and having a definitive answer, because this is trying to hit a moving target. Yeah, I guess, like, to me, the discussion, I, I think it's an interesting discussion is, does does wrestling have any responsibility to to touch on these things? And if it doesn't, should it use them for heat? Well... You're you're the perfect one to ask this question, Sue, because you were physically there for part of it. But um, you know, I, I, they they tried to liken this to the the Sergeant Slaughter stuff, and you were at that Royal Rumble. Yeah, and it's like Desert Storm was pretty well going on when it became Sergeant Slaughter on TV was representing this guy, but he was so clearly the 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 villain 
and you were like, he's going to get his ass kicked. And it wasn't kind of direct. It was just kind of what wrestling has always done or a lot of the art forms that we like, like comic books. You think back to that Captain America punching Adolf Hitler. World War II was still going on. Hitler was still in power. It, it When it's broad strokes like that, I, I think it feels a little bit differently when there's just a cartoonish villain that you can you can target. I mean, what's fascinating about that Captain America issue, that's, you know, that's his first appearance. And that's, we were not, America was not a part of the war yet. Right. That was, it, a, I want to say 1940. 1940, uh, but, it was early 1941, but yeah. Yeah, it was before Pearl Harbor and all that. But, you know, and that was two uh, Jewish kids that created, that was their kind of way of coping with it. Um, I just, yeah, wrestling, it's like, I don't know. I, I, I think that, yeah, it's never handled this stuff well. Like, I immediately thought of the, uh, with the Muhammad Hassan and Undertaker shit. <laughs> so Hassan's the perfect example, because Max brought up Hassan in his tweet. Yeah. The thing is, number one, Muhammad Hassan did not debut on September 12th, 2001. No. Uh, number two, the point of that character when it first debuted was, I'm a Muslim American who's being painted with the same brush as a terrorist. I have no sympathy for what these terrorists did. I'm opposed to it. I'm born in America the same way you are, but I'm being disrespected simply because of you know my my background. And that's a very subtle character that you're trying to tell to a wrestling audience. And it gave WWE like three months before he was a full-on terrorist uh, attacking The Undertaker, unfortunately the same week as the London bombings. Though in their defense, because I was there, uh, the London bombings happened after we filmed the uh, the Undertaker uh, Hassan attack. Because it was a tape show, yeah. It was a tape show, and there was a crawl on the bottom that UPN aired basically saying something to that effect, that this was a pre-taped thing and that this is not, you know, that we are aware of the whatever, you know, what occurred in the world this week, and we do not in any way condone that. And the Muhammad Hassan thing, like, it showed, like, that yeah, maybe wrestling isn't the place for this because you know I really was fascinated by those opening vignettes and, and, and that character. And it's just, yeah, it was like and I didn't, you know, I should have, but I wasn't so cynical of like, oh, well, they're just gonna give up on this and make up a bad guy. I actually was like, Oh, I'm I'm kind of fascinated to see where this goes. <laughs> and he was a bad guy. I but he was a nuanced bad guy, which wrestling does not know how to do well. And correct, you know, it's fascinating because you know, a show that is on weekly, you would expect it to evolve in some ways, and in a lot of ways, it it just hasn't. And maybe it's not supposed to, maybe we expect too much of wrestling. I think sometimes we do, and when it's kept simple, it can be good, and when they try to get too complicated or, or, or too convoluted it becomes much more challenging. I mean, it's it's funny because, Scott, you brought up the the MJF uh, Max Caster stuff and the, the overtones there. Kenny and Kota Ibushi have never done any of the Golden Lover stuff on AEW. Like, it's really never been talked about. But that was a big part of who they were for a long time. Well, that's because Kota has to be 100% to give you that gold, Golden Lover's love in. You're blaming a shoulder injury on why he can't. Well, uh, no, the truth is, it's just they've never really. I mean, you know, other than having random uh, 
cute moments of like kissing on the lips in DDT. There was no, it, it it's all kind of lore, you know, and the fact that their name is Golden Lovers and that they do seem to be bisexual. But but also, yeah. I mean, every time Coda has appeared on AEW, he looks more like a lover of the Golden Arches. <laughs> oh, that is uh. We, we do not body shame on this. Well, let me see who's on Dynamite before I say that. Uh, no, we're good. We do not body shame on this show. The Bucks were not on Dynamite, so I can't make fun of those pudgy little fuckers. Um, they, should, they should call Kota Bushi the golden love handles. <laughs> uh, that is, this is why we're happy to have uh, Mike here. Now, uh, while you were there, did, did, did you see Taylor Swift? I did. She walked past me. Um, I was surprised how big she is. Uh, not a little tall. I mean, that was a boat. So Bo and Yang said something where he's like, I walked out and I saw these two redwood trees and then realized it was Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. And I guess yeah. I never thought of Taylor Swift being that tall. You know what? Like I was like, she walked past um, me and some other people. And, and I even had to do the double take of just, Oh shit. Like, and, uh, you know, it was amazing. Like she really does have that star quality, uh, and not just because there were giant XCIA guys around, but <laughs> but she, you know, looks like a fucking star. And uh, and it was cool. I mean, you know, it's yeah, it's like the biggest movie in the world, the biggest fucking concert. Like, yeah, I mean, she's a legit thing. I I I was in in uh. Pete Screamer for all the shows. So like even when she like came out and brought out Ice Spy, like I didn't know that was happening. I was like, oh fuck, that's cool. You know, and then at the after party, it was like it was crazy because I left, but I left there was like still all this paparazzi out there. And they were just so like the worst people in the world. They were so annoying. Uh I mean, not actually because we're in a war, not the worst people, but they're up there. Uh they're they're <laughs> like, they're pretty high up there. Yeah, they're pretty high up there. And it was funny because, like, there was this woman who was like, the, you know, like, the paparazzi is like, is Ice Spice still here? And, and this woman was like, no, they're gone. She's, she left. And, like, we don't believe you. <laughs> Which is something I've had happen. Like, if um, if I leave separately from Pete, like, if he goes to the next city and I, I fly out the next morning or whatever, and I leave uh, on my own, there'll be people like, he's, he's in there, right? I'm like, no, he's not. And, and they're like, you're lying. I'm like, I don't know how to lie. <laughs> Part of me would have hoped that, that you, that, like, at some point, you would have had an interaction with Taylor Swift. And I feel like the only go-to question would have been, like, the one wrestling connection she has. Which, are you familiar with her one wrestling connection, Mike? Oh, yes. She was Jeff Jarrett's babysitter. She was Jeff Jarrett's kid's babysitter. And I feel like that would have been the the one question. If you had one question asked, would have been like, so... What was it like babysitting Jeff Jarrett's kids? Like it's just weird. I, just, to live in know, a world I don't like. I don't. I don't like that you bring that up. Not just because you mentioned Jeff Jarrett, but to not think that I'm a Swifty. Like, dude, I fucking wrote my vows to shake it off. I love. I love Taylor Swift. That is. That is fair. Um, I. 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 Uh, I. I take that back. I, I was unaware that you were a devout Swifty. Yeah, man. It, you know, it, it's interesting too. Like, I outed myself as such a, a Mark in wrestling fan at SNL because uh, you, you know who the the guest this uh, this upcoming week is Bad Bunny. 
Yes. And um, and I was just like bringing up how huge of a star he was, and I was like, I used, I actually used the phrase of like, man, I went to, I went to WrestleMania, and no one got a bigger pop the first night than Bad Bunny. <laughs> and they just looked at me, and I'm like, it's true though, he did, man. I was like, that dude, I, I he said like that guy's over. He, yeah, he they were like, "What's a pop? What is over?" <laughs> no, there's got to be, there's got to be someone there that that's a fucking wrestling fan that's at SNL. Yeah, but they got rid of Dick Ebersole in 1980. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Well, and I didn't. Yes, very few people there still like wrestling and OJ Simpson as much as Dick Ebersole. So that's a uh, that's a shame. But it's it. <laughs> I still. Yeah, I like I, that you just bring up OJ Simpson because he's a former football player with an excellent finishing move. Jesus Christ! Oh man! Well, now you're going to be banned from uh, from NBC. You and Norm. <laughs> that was the like seeing they have a photo of every cast member ever, and like yes. that. You know, it's it is like you you're writing comedy in this little office, but the history of the office and. All of that is like, I, I did. I did become like a massive mark throughout the week, you know. And it's, you know, it's a show a lot of people grow up with. You know, I did, and you know, it's a show I watch with my dad a lot. And it's, it's also, I think, like especially for kids, like it's the thing that you get to stay up late to watch. So it has this fucking coolness to it. This is especially back then before they were replaying it. And, or, you know, you could look at archives and stuff. The only way you could watch it was to be up at 1130 at night. Oh, when when I, I got to go to a taping once um, several years ago and just be like walking because you all walk in kind of the same way and yeah. walking in the hallways and seeing the pictures. And then at one point they, they weren't on. They were just guesting randomly uh, Lonely Island walk by and then just like walking these tiny little narrow hallways. And you're like, this is really cool. Or the area where usually they have like on screen, like the llama that they'll use if they ever go backstage and do like the fake thing where there's like a, usually a shepherd. On, like, you mark out for every little part of it. And then you realize how small that studio is. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. And that you're just, small. and when you're working there, you're just there all day and night. I mean, it's, but, it really uh, is an overnight working thing like when they always say like oh we're up until one o'clock in the morning still writing like that's that's really the still going on yes but probably not as fun as it was in like the 70s where they were all just coked out of their mind writing and that's your segue to dynamite or duh that's exactly fuck you you knew where i was going with it uh <laughs> yes i was gonna go into uh into taking a shot at tony but honestly dynamite dynamite this week just in broad strokes after last week where Tony came out swinging before the the Dynamite uh, show against NXT. And after the show was over, is like, Sean's not going to win Booker of the Year, what he did versus what I did, and all this shit. And then this is the show he puts on this week. It was about as kind of bland and generic and boring as uh, most of their roster. That was your cue, Scott, to get all fired up and angry. <laughs> oh, no, I just because I've heard people saying that it was very like mid is the word. Um, And I think there was definitely moments that 
weren't great, but for the most part, I was focused and enjoyed a majority of this show. So, and they're doing some cool shit that, I mean, you got to. Well, we'll get to it, but they're doing things that you clearly are good. So before, so we, I got hyped uh, on this episode. So before we really dig into into it, because I know Mike didn't watch Dynamite, but one of the big takeaways of the show, and I'd love to get your your thoughts on this, is Sting announced that he's retiring uh, at Revolution 2024. Then, and this time he means it, uh, as opposed to his last retirement. And he kind of gave like a sermon for a long time, but what what is your thought on on Sting retiring? Uh, I'll go first. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's you know it's not it's way less than a year. It's what Revolution is in February, right? Is it? I don't know when Revolution actually takes place, but I mean, it's it. I think it's their first pay per view. Yeah, of the new year. It's um, traditionally so- February. Yeah. Yeah. So we get like, you know, one last season of Sting. We get a winter of Sting. All right. I, I, I the way he's used in matches in my head, I just go, oh, it, it has been so fun. And it's also been limited. And so do that for as long as you can. Problem with announcing a, a retirement is now we're going to expect at least two singles matches out of this. And can we get that from him? I don't know. I, I hate to see Sting go because there's no doubt this is like this has been an amazing run for him. Yeah, it's been his last time on a major. You know, otherwise his last time on a major stage would have been that terrible WrestleMania with awesome. with Hunter. That like in the middle he of like, buried like, the shit. Michael Cole is burying him. None of it makes sense in like the history of wrestling. Right, NWO helps, tries to help him at the end. Yeah, that was a real waste of him. I, I think he's a he's a highlight of the show. Every time he comes out, it's been fun. And so yeah, I'm excited to see it wrap up. Mike, what's what's your thought on Sting uh hanging it up? Okay, yeah, I'll give my thoughts on this and then retire from this week. Uh <laughs> as uh I think you know it is time. Um I I think that uh, uh, the initial run was really exciting, and then he's just been doing the same thing for the last two years. He's never been more than Darby's buddy. He almost feels like Darby's like imaginary friend that only Darby can see at times. Like he 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 he's had a very Christopher Lloyd and Angels in the Outfield vibe. <laughs> Yes. Um, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt was more physically imposing than Darby. That's true. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Darby looks like Joseph Gordon-Levitt at the end of 50-50. But, uh, <laughs> Jesus. No, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy because, like, you know, I remember when Sting first came back, and I think it was around when we, we started all doing the show together, and... I forgot what Scott said, but you you nailed it of like how how jarring it is to see a guy in that makeup. It used to be wacky and crazy, and and it still it never it never makes sense to me when he talks. It just doesn't. Um, and uh, you know, I like even if I I almost wish he hadn't talked up until this point. I know that means I, I, I don't get a month of Joker's thing. Uh, but 
I, I definitely think it, you know, look, it's time to wrap it up, but he just, yeah, I do want to see a singles match. We haven't gotten that yet. We've gotten like, okay, we so here's know... the question before you dip who's his final match against? I think it should be Darby. Gotta be Darby, right? I think that's fun. I, I think that, um, yeah, because. I, I I do believe uh, in a lot of cases you leave on your back and um, I think he should job to Darby. I think that a legend versus legend thing, one, that's just not AEW's thing. Uh, two, I don't trust their doctors to make sure both guys live through it. And three, it just, it, it's just, it'd be a sad way to go. Uh, <laughs> Ric Flair. So, um, I think that a singles match that is a spectacle, you know, give him give him the main event slot. The guy is a legend. He has overperformed since he's been back, but I just think creatively it's just kind of gotten a little uh redundant. And I might be alone there, but um yeah, I think I think it's good that he realizes it's time to wrap it up. I, I think, you know. It's it's harder. I think it gets harder to watch him every year because you really do worry about him. Do you think he should ascend into the rafters in his final match? Oh, that's fucking awesome! Yeah, I mean, here's here's what I would ideally love, and I know it's not going to happen, and I know it is it contradicts what I just said, but I would love to just see a fucking thirty minute match with him and Taker where only like two moves are hit because that's all that needs to happen. So any Roman Reigns match. <laughs> yeah. I I would I would love to see just that spectacle of it all. It's um, yeah, I, mean, look, I, I think we're definitely gonna get Sting versus Christian because fact of the matter is if we look at Sting's history, isn't it like most of his years are spent in TNA or something? Uh, and Christian was there, and Christian is such a smooth, safe worker. Sting needs to work with guys that he's been in the ring with before and guys he trusts. So you just got to get that. I'd also like to see a Jericho match because it's never happened. And in terms of a legend versus legend, it's the only – I don't think it should be his final match. But if you can get a few singles, which I don't know if that's possible, I think Jericho is one of them. Oof. Yeah, and you trust Jericho. I mean, I just think that uh... – I think if we get a singles match, I think we're only getting one, and I think that's what he goes out on. I think, and I think a lot of that is his own pride and stuff. I don't think he thinks he can carry a singles match. That's why I feel like he needs to be in there with someone who can carry him. I don't know that Darby can because of his size and, and his move set. I would much rather see him go in there one last time against, like, Swerve and and let Shane have like dying out on that for the rest of his career that he retired. Cause like we live in a world now where Kurt Angle's last match ever was against Baron Corbin, which means nothing. I'd rather Sting's retirement or his last match help somebody if it's him or if it's, you know, I mean, not that it would make a lot of sense, but like hangman, like a guy who can get a good match out of him and who beating him is his final match is a defining moment in that young guy's career. But then again, we don't know who's going to still be there in February. Robert. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, um, I think Darby's a safe bet. It, if not him, you know, uh, I don't know if he's ever wrestled Edge, but that's that's a fun thing too. 
Yeah, no, he's never wrestled Edge. It's just, you know, does it Edge has just been around for so long, you don't want to see him retire a guy, even though, yeah, it's a dream match. And the other thing is just bottom line, you don't have enough time and you know the match isn't going to be any good to even speculate on like, oh, Sting MJF, Sting Adam Cole, Sting Kenny Omega. Like it not even an option, not even something we're interested in. But you know, this is the last question I'll ask. Does the match, like, what does good mean in a match with him? And does, like, does it have to be good? Like, I think, I think it's got to be, like, spectacle. I think that's why the Darby match is safe. One, it's cute. They look like each other. It's like when, uh, Doctor, doesn't Doctor, doesn't Mini Me finally fight Doctor Evil at one point? Am I wrong about that? But if that's not, I imagine that at least at one point, Mike Myers kicked Fern Troyer. <laughs> uh, and Darby can sell like nobody's business. He's so inventive and creative, and that's what you need with a guy who all he can really do is fall from a high place. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and. And Darby is like one of their bulletproof guys. If he gets beat, that's part of his character. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but I think Darby beats Sting, right? Yeah. You know, you know, yeah, you don't... You know what I th- think would be the best, actually? We already talk about it. Brian Danielson. Ooh. Versus Sting. I mean, there's no one I trust more. Uh, the guy can't have a bad match. And it, the whole thing is just Sting being like, I just want to see if I can hang with the best for one last time. Like a rock, you know, like a Rocky thing kind of. I just want to see, you know, the was it Rocky Balboa? I just want to yeah. see if I can just go. Well, his speech on Dynamite was putting over Flair and by saying, I wrestled, you know, the greatest wrestler in the world, Ric Flair. I want my last match to be against the greatest wrestler currently in the world, Brian Danielson. There's your story. Fuck, yeah. that is really good. And yeah, and then you get a moment in the match where Sting's, where Sting's white face paint is on Danielson's boot. That'd be nice. Because that's, that's the one thing is Danielson has to murder him in this match if what you're pitching would ever happen. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I'm basically pitching the modern, you know, Flair and Michaels, but it's like, who is, I mean, literally trained by Mike, who is the fucking Michaels? It's it's Danielson. Yeah. And yeah, I'm no sorry, doubt. I love you. It, 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 is, it, is, it is a fascinating thing. Like, I wasn't the biggest Sting guy, but Sting does seem like a guy that so many people who became wrestlers, he's their favorite guy. Well, that was what Edge said in a promo, I think like a week ago, and he's talking about him and Christian. He's like, growing up as kids, they would play as Lex Luger and Sting. Like, those were their guys. I never, I, I don't know, I, I, I never saw it like that. I always thought WCW kind of felt like secondary to WWF, so Sting was the lesser version of a a, a Hogan or, or a Warrior. And he also always came across as a guy who did wrestling because it was a job as opposed to, man, I just, I live and breathe and love pro wrestling. So I think that was kind of a disconnect for me with Sting, but there's no doubt that he is uh, a, a legend and it's cool that he'll get a, theoretically, a proper send-off. 
Well, and, and then and then you look in hindsight and you're like, oh, that dude lived and breathed and loved pro wrestling. Yeah, because he ended up doing it almost longer than anybody. He well, because physically he was able to. Yeah, and that's that's amazing. Well, Mike, we're gonna give you a proper send off if you want to plug anything before you uh, vanish into the ether for the rest of the show. Yeah, I don't know uh, what dates. Uh, I I'm in Kalamazoo on uh, Saturday, uh, Grand Rapids, uh, you know, Friday with Pete. Um, I don't. He just announced a bunch of new dates. I don't know which ones I'm doing yet, but I'll announce on my uh, site, Mike Lawrence Comedy and. Even if I'm not on the shows, you should come out, man. The shows have been great, uh, and it's really fun. And if you liked his monologue, there's 50 more minutes of great stand-up where that came from. The audible gasp Rachel let out at one point during his monologue about the 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 girl dying, uh, or that she got like she got one thing right. That was, yeah. I think that was the line where she just like literally, she physically gasped out loud when it happened, which popped me to no end. That's awesome. It was fantastic. Well, Mike, I'm so glad you were able to to hop on and join us. And, and now Scott and I are going to dive into the minutia of dynamite. So save yourself. You guys have fun and wheeze that juice. All right, Mike Lawrence, everybody. Uh, we're going to, uh, I don't know why I just did that. Like I'm like fucking hosting uh, at, uh, in Kalamazoo, which sounds like, <laughs> it sounds like a really funny town. Um, so yeah, so we'll get into, we'll do hour one, hour two of dynamite here. Um, hour one opened with a, a Penta J white match. That was a really, really solid match followed by a uh, bullet club promo. That was just kind of them stating their their position on things of i've got the title and uh that juice robinson's gonna win the the main event uh they did a backstage pre-tape with mjf where he was approached by the acclaimed and they offered to to align with him in a, in a eight-man tag and he said no so max caster's like well i'm gonna win the dynamite uh, battle royal for the diamond ring and then you have to put a ring on it which is a cute little moment uh we got emmy sakura versus Hikaru shida in a match where if you didn't watch this one live, you had the luxury of fast forwarding through uh, Adam. Copeland. <laughs> yeah, this was a good match. It Robert. was fine. It was fine. You know what it is? Cause <laughs> Emmy Sakura is already like a, all right, you know, she's going to lose. Like it's, it's an enhancement E match. It was, it was fine. They was, they were physical at some points. There were some things that were clunky. It was fine. Adam Copeland did a sit down with Renee young where I don't know who mic'd this thing, but the audio was terrible. It was like, they were like, echoey in a hallway like nobody did any kind of leveling and balance on it that's my production nerd thing uh he told the story about him and christian and their background and and how they you know both wanted to go to a wrestling school and they'd known each other in sixth grade and that uh he thinks that christian's been kind of in his shadow and he's been pulling him along and we'll see uh wardlow murdered ryan nemeth so i guess dolph ziggler's not signing anytime soon uh tony Schiavone goes to interview him wardlow points to his wrist that has mjf written on it which is better than a roll of quarters uh and then bumps Shivani, uh knocks him on his ass which to me big baby face move popped huge for that uh kenny omega's interviewed in the back about his upcoming match uh with kyle fletcher MJF shows up to shake his hand and then whispers in his ear about 13 days. Uh, we then get a Adam Cole, Roderick Strong, and the Kingdom video package uh, of them him making coffee and then peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. 
and I hated every fucking second of this. This is interminable. This is if you die and you don't go to heaven or you don't go to hell, you live in these video packages. This is where you are forced to spend all of eternity. Uh, and then Don Cowas, Hobbs, and Takeshita come out to cut a promo where they talk about uh, Hobbs destroying Jericho over and over again because when he was a kid, he went to a show and wanted Jericho's autograph, and Jericho told him to shut up and sit down. And then they bring out Kyle Fletcher, who's mad that they portrayed him as the guy who screwed the team. And they're like, hey, if you beat Kenny Omega, you get to join the group. Scott, that was our one of Dynamite. Yeah, what didn't you like about it? I mean, other than maybe um, the women's division, there's no real desire to focus on it. I understand that. They're trying to course correct. It's going to take a a while. And also, they've always been trying to course correct. So that's just me being nice, right? But other than that, I thought it was like consistent and a lot of moments where people's feuds are kind of intertwining guys you know the the omega mjf moment the 13 days which is mjf is going to break omega's record for longest reigning champion in 13 days uh wardlow holding up the you know his wristband saying mjf and he's angry about it to the point where he he shoves over shivani to get through him and so now you have to boo wardlow uh, Jay White even in, in the beginning, which I love the Jay White Penta match, but at the end saying the whole reason I still have your title is because you can't find guys to help you come get it from me. And it's it's sort of this reap what you sow with MJF where there are good guys, but they're kind of coming off like bad guys who won't help him because they have vendettas against him and deservedly so. Uh, where you also have heels who are coming at him and they're wrong. And so there's like a lot of intertwining goodness. I liked it. Just it's it's a lot of the reason I liked Raw this week is because you do have these like Drew McIntyre moments where you go, oh, this is sort of affecting a few storylines and more guys angry with more guys. Yeah, I think my my part of my issue was it, there was nothing that was urgent or necessary, and I think that's part of it. There was nothing that was destination TV. The Penta J White match was fine. Part of my problem is, and and I know Mike had said this on the thread, and I'm sorry he's not here. Is we don't, as the audience, really view J White as a true credible top tier threat. He should have been able to beat Penta clean. He didn't need a bunch of help to to beat Penta. I think that sure. so that was a mis- that was a misstep, um, and it was also weird because they're like MJF's not here, and then they immediately cut to MJF in the back, which was a strange disconnect that those guys had because I thought oh maybe Max is in at TV this week or whatever. Um, the Sakura Shida match again was just sort of a nothing match. It was her going up against someone that you know she's going to beat, and there's no consequences to it. It was just a match that happened that could have occurred on Rampage. It's not like something happened with Sheeta and then she got attacked, or we're moving towards another story. It was just kind of a thing. Uh, I thought the Copeland, his sit-down interview was really dull. It just felt very, he felt really disconnected. I think the Ricky Starks feedback, there, there are some AEW fans that are going in hard on edge, I'm sorry, on Copeland for his frustration with Ricky Starks. And I kind of feel like 
that whole ugliness is overshadowing his return. I liked the Wardlow thing. It was short and to the point, but to echo Mike's point before, they never follow up on this shit. Like Wardlow had momentum and then it went away. And then he had momentum with Arn and then it went away. And now we're doing this again. I want to see a follow through, but I don't know. Kenny and Max was fine. Um, I That kingdom thing is so indefensible and it makes Adam Cole seem so much lesser than which which sucks because I feel like he was getting really well rehabilitated by his stuff with Max and then the Don Cowles family thing Don bores me he's not as good as Heyman and he's trying to do Heyman I like Hobbs I hope that we get something with that I like the story they're trying to tell with Kyle Fletcher but what really came out of that and Other... didn't you love that it bled into the match I like that it bled into the match I like that it was a little bit of like forward momentum storytelling so we'll move on to hour two Kenny Omega Kyle Fletcher was a very good match uh and then they followed it up with where the fuck did this come from Lance Archer is still alive and he beat a guy named Barrett Brown uh so that's your second big dude squashing a nobody on the same show but Archer's another guy he pops up for like a month and then he's gone uh Swerve was in a pre-tape with Prince Nana promoting his music video and that um He's going to come after Hangman, but not only Hangman. So I guess Swerve's going to murder his child, uh, which will be fun. Sting gave his speech that went on way too long. And it kind of felt a little sermony, And I wasn't sure where it was going. And outside of the crowd booing Hogan, it was just kind of like, all right, let's get to where this is going. Like, wrap this up, dude. Uh, I think it's why the show ran long. Uh, the Nick Wayne segment with his mom and Jim Ross. Um, Jim Ross is, he's, he's a mascot at this point. I get it. Uh, Nick Wayne's mom is terrible on camera. Nick Wayne was fine as being like, kind of like a petulant dick, but his mom trying to do like soap opera acting was really, really cheesy. Christian showing up was cool when she slapped Nick Wayne. And then Christian goes, don't abuse him. That was Christian's firing on a totally different level. And then Darby jumps them. And then we get a brawl with Luchasaurus and Sting. Uh, sure. Uh, then the main event was the uh, Rampage Battle Royal with a whole bunch of fucking nobodies, including Dustin Rhodes, uh, the Hardys, Matt Seidel, the best friends, Jake Hager, uh, John Morrison, wherever he's called. Uh, and then Juice Robinson Danny Garcia and Max Caster, who were really the only three guys who had a shot at this. Um, in the end, Max goes to pay off Dustin Rhodes to eliminate Juice. It doesn't happen. Juice winds up winning because of the the distraction of Jay White fighting MJF. MJF gets his belt back and then loses it again. Uh, and now we're going to get Juice Robinson, MJF next week uh, in the uh, anti-Semitism Battle Royal Bowl. Uh, this is, this is why I think dynamite just fell off a cliff. It, it just felt like a lot of pointless matches after the Kyle O'Reilly Kenny thing. And that main event battle Royal was just totally absent stars. And when people are not there, it's more jarring than when they are. Yeah. Well, the main, yeah. Main event was a huge problem for me. 
obviously, all right, you start the hour with the Fletcher Omega match, and I was in love with it, and I was sit there, sitting there writing poems about what it meant to me and shit. Dude, that kid's a star. And we've Dude, always talked Fletcher about how much so we amazing. love those guys. Well, well, also, let's comment. So, because it, it did, you know, interrupt the Hobbs promo, which I thought Hobbs cut a great promo. He did. Uh, you know, very, like, villain origin story of, you weren't nice to me when I was a kid. I get that. But he delivered it really well. Uh, then Kyle Fletcher comes out. This whole time in my head, I go, Kyle Fletcher, he's a skinny guy, et cetera, et cetera. Just towering over Hobbs. So that was towering a, mis- that was a miscalculation team. a little bit. Like, I thought that same thought when those two were staring off at each other. It was like, oh, Hobbs is a little dude. Like, he's uh, jacked like, to hell. Eat these boys up. Uh, but, it, it, yeah, he came off like a complete star. Omega obviously came off like a star really fun story and i also i like the story of fletcher because you're you're slowly turning him like you know callus completely turning on him at the end of the match being like this kid should quit the business because he lost to kenny you know um but it and i don't know if this is what's happening and or if it's just tony praying and hoping and prepping but the idea of if osprey does show up come the end of january or whenever his contract's up he does need to show up as a face and Fletcher as a face and Callis disrespecting his boy can really assist that. So I loved all of this. I like the Danhausen videos, which we haven't been mentioning. I, I hate that they're only doing this for Halloween, but like the Halloween three Danhausen, uh, you know, old RCA yeah. television videos are fun. We already talked about sting Lance Archer. I wrote, that every time Lance Archer is on an episode of Dynamite, which is like three episodes a year, I like the episode a lot. I never necessarily like the Lance Archer segment, but I go, they went for it this episode. They threw some stuff at the wall. And Lance Archer is very much throwing something at the wall. Uh, But it always kind of works for me. So yeah, I like Lance. It's just, I know they're not going to follow up on it. Tony Storm, the video was fun. I like the Nick Wayne thing just because it did feel funny knowing this was... And and yeah, it stretched a little too much, but Christian coming out at the end and going, oh yeah, this is all very much kind of a comedy segment because Christian is now this guy's dad. That's so stupid and funny. Well, no, it was a comedy yeah, segment. JR, when, when, Jim Ross, when Jim Ross went like, that's your, that's your mother. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Well, dude, he says things like, uh, like Gene Wilder in Willy Wonka where yes. it's like, oh no, please don't. Like he could give a shit about anything. That's, that's exactly happening. my take. So I didn't think the Jim Wilder yeah. thing is spot on, but my takeaway was like, this dude does not give a fuck. And if you listen to his podcast, uh, which is on ad free shows that we're on, so we're all synergy. We love everybody there. Yeah. Like he gets fucking fired up and passionate when he's talking about like Wrestle War '91 and how they didn't book, uh, you know, so so like Scott Steiner properly. So he can still get fired up. And and you say Red Ash Jr. like. This was just, I don't, I don't care. Like, just, I, I, you can just, like, A, you 100% know that Jim was just staring at Nick Wayne's mom's tits the entire time. Like, you could just feel it. Um, and he's probably thinking he has a shot with her. Uh, and B, he did not care about anything else that was going on. But, yeah. yeah. Oh, and then, and then the main event, you're right. Just like, no star power. And, you know, it's it, it feels weird saying that because you go, there's no star power. And then you mentioned Dustin Rhodes and all these – everybody you mentioned, Jeff Hardy, they're like former WWE guys. But they – they're dude, Jeff Hardy is like 
done. You see him in this match, or you're like, don't even put him on the television if this is how he's presented because there's just no magic there. Uh, no, it's it's like and, and watching it like that for a lot of these guys. I feel bad saying that about Dustin Rhodes because he's a, he's, a, he's a fucking legend, but they don't have me caring about Dustin. So you're watching this match for something that should mad matter because it involves MJF. And it feels like it doesn't. And then you get the final two, and I like the final two because you do tell that story of Caster and Juice and MJF. But you knew Juice was going to win. And I'm glad Juice won, and I think the match will be great next week. But just what a dud of a match when you have, like, Morrison in it. And it's just you're not using these fucking people. Dude, so I why didn't are realize they in Morrison was still that- there. I'll be honest. I didn't realize Morrison was still part of AEW. Yeah, it was just weak, man. That that main event was weak, no doubt. It could have used QT Marshall. It oh, but the used- brawling at the end I liked a lot. I, dude, Nick Wayne chipped his tooth. That was some good shit. Sting getting involved, you know, even though earlier in the night he said he's retiring, so you get excited about the potential matches he's going to have with Christian and Luchasaurus or Edge, wherever that goes. So I'm glad all these people came out and fought. It's also tough because, like, the like if you are – in that live crowd, and you went to this dynamite, you got no Danielson, no Moxley, no Claudio, no Bucks, no Hangman, no Strickland, no no Adam Copeland, a lot of big, ne- no Starks, no FTR, a lot of big stars just not there. And the difference when you're that versus WWE is at least like WWE, it's okay, you have the Raw roster, you have the SmackDown roster. You know if you go to SmackDown, you're not going to see Seth Rollins. You know, if you go to Raw, you're not going to see, you know, Roman Reigns in theory. Here, it feels so hit and miss. So when you're looking at the main event and it's like, oh, good, there's Matt Menard. That's got to be tough. And they're already having trouble with with ticket sales to begin with. I, I don't know what your your huge draw was here other than you got to hear Sting say that at some point down the road he's going to retire. Yeah, the uh, now that Punk is gone, all that collision, dynamite stuff needs to start falling apart. And we've seen it in bits and pieces. I know they're advertising Omega in like two weeks. I don't think this week he's on collision, but next week he will be. But it's, yeah, you got to, Samoa Joe's got to be on dynamite next week. Let's just do this. You got a stacked roster and guys like Kyle Fletcher. Let's just go for it. Like you really can do some, exciting shit but i also like that you didn't get danielson um because you can wait till saturday and you didn't get ftr because you can wait till saturday it's just i wish they didn't feel so exclusive to saturday it's so true, let me but like, but, like but let me ask you this so this dynamite diamond ring that's supposedly so important and prestigious within the confines of kayfabe to keep using this phrase now um why wouldn't blackpool want yuda to try to get this or Claudio. Yeah. Not, oh, yeah, dude. The booking of uh, the booking of that battle royal is ass in terms of, in terms of so many people are after MJF and they've done so, such a great job that whole show laying out that so many people are after MJF, but only one guy wants his ring and it's what, Juice. What's even crazier is there are guys who are never used on TV who are talented who don't exist in this battle. Like I, I just for instance. uh no one from House of Black, no Ethan Page, no Jay Lethal, like guys who at least, oh, I know this guy. Like, this is why they're on your roster to fill out battle royals. I don't know. Is Ethan Page like still there? 
that's a uh, that's a great question. I I don't know. I don't know. Um, that was dynamite. That's why my frustration with dynamite it just felt so kind of like I didn't watch it live, and I, I even texted you guys. Like usually, Dan watches dynamite live, or you watch it like at some point overnight or something, or Mike chimes in and watches on the West Coast feed. And I'll wake up to like thirty to sixty text messages about dynamite in in, in the group. There were zero. Sure. Zero messages. Nobody had anything to sure. say about this show. And that to me was the biggest like, oh, you want to show Tony that you're Booker of the Year and you can just swing for the fences? You should have gone all out. And and we talked Collision on Patreon and we kind of liked that episode. Like there was stuff in there to really kind of get behind and support. This felt totally just directionless and weird. Um, speaking of directionless and weird, it's a, a, a minor No, story. I don't know, man. I think... Sorry, I'm pee- I'm literally peeing as we're speaking. It's just I didn't know Mike was going to do a Q and A on SNL, and I've been drinking coffee. Okay, and we're still. I'm also getting up there in age a little bit, so this takes longer than usual. I think I'm done, age, and then like, I'm not. You're like thirty. I know, but wait, how old? But the are way you? the way the way they feed us, the way they pump us with poison in this country. Thirty to new sixty. How dude. old are you? Are you thirty? 33. 33. Okay, you are old as shit. Never mind. We're fine. You're you're good. Uh you're you're at the right level of, of that. But my my pivot was um there was a, a news story that was broke this week by by a house of wrestling friend of our show, Nick Hausman, uh that the NWA, which is still a thing, owned by Billy Corgan, which is still a thing, uh got a deal with the CW. And now NWA Power, with all those R's after, is apparently going to be a weekly television show. Are are you excited to see another TV show enter the uh, the the mainstream, Scott? I mean, I'm I'm wait, I'm waiting to 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 see the time slot because this could be like a three a.m. Well, CW no, because if it's, if it's CW, so so without getting way too into the weeds of how network TV works, CW controls the broadcasting window from eight to ten p.m. Everything else is syndicated and localized, so it theoretically has to air somewhere between Sunday and Saturday, uh, from eight uh, somewhere in the eight to ten block on on a oh, CW wow. thing. So it'll theor- unless there's some crazy deal that they broker where this is going to be like cw is syndicating it or something i haven't looked into it but that would be weird but if they're signing with a network like it's going to be on actual tv uh granted it's the cw i don't do they do they still air so so now uh, does that mean more money to possibly sign new guys because yeah i know they look i'm not going to knock certain guys i like some guys in nwa uh but they focus on titus they they focus on the wrong talent titus titus retired uh, a couple weeks ago. Oh, he apparently. retired. I just thought he lost the title. He lost the title and retired because he's on that show that gut gut felled gut field with the Fox News, uh, yeah, yeah. thing. And apparently, that's a massive show. Um, yeah, not- it does better than like late night. Sorry, my my dog hates gut felled. Sorry, I can't blame. Him. Um, I'm, yeah, we're not the target audience for that program, but uh, no, it's uh, EC3 is the is the NWA World Champion. I'm a big EC3 guy, so big fan of him and there's lots of i like ec3 and there's lots of dudes that just could use the exposure like i would pick up a guy like uh riddick moss and see what he could do in the nwa because he's got a good look uh i think they have sandow i think damian sandow is part of the nwa uh they got like trevor murdoch for a while there's just there's 
there's dudes out there who are talented who don't necessarily belong right now in WWE. The perfect example is, you know, the number one contender for the uh, undisputed WWE Universal Heavyweight Championship, L.A. Knight, was part of like WWE developmental. They saw nothing in him and they went up cutting him and he kind of made his bones in the NWA and, and was able to show and develop who he was between there and impact. And sometimes that's what these guys need. And I really liked, I liked him on that show, man. He was really good on that show. Cause he was the only guy that had like a pulse and an energy to him. There's always a positive for people having a place to go work. Billy Corgan seems like a, uh, seems like a weird dude, but I guess maybe he's better than Tony in some regards, because I don't think Billy Corgan tweets a ton. So we'll give him that. And, you know, it's a Smashing Pumpkins. That's got some level of cachet. Uh, but that's, I don't know, weird little news story to, to touch on. So let's do... Uh, Ooh, is the intro going to be a Smashing Pumpkins song, you think? I hope so. That'd be... Is the intro currently a Smashing Pumpkins song? I... They all hate... Doesn't he, like... They all hate him now? They all always hate He's him. He's one of those guys. He makes you hate him immediately. Yeah. Well, he's like... he he Yeah, he, like, the Smashing Pumpkins disbanded for a while then he created that band like Zwan or something like that and then I think they all hated him and then he created it's like him and Axl Rose are really good at that but uh let's do high spot low spot and uh we'll 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 call this a uh a, a show what's your what's your high spot low spot of the week Scotty my high spot is that uh, Zack Sabre Jr. and and Will Ospreay fought each other at uh, Royal Quest 3, New Japan's Royal Quest 3 in, in the United Kingdom uh, this past weekend. It was an awesome match, just a damn good time, and uh, just uh, another notch on the belt of Will Ospreay in the year of 2023. I sound like Don Callis right now. But uh, just a great year for him and an awesome match. And Zack Sabre Jr. is just... Genuinely, every time I see him, I don't think about it, but when I do watch a match of his, I go, who is better at presenting what pro wrestling can be than Zack Sabre Jr.? I would show any non-wrestling fan a Zack Sabre Jr. match because it is so different and you can't deny moments of like authenticity and originality. Just such a, a badass match. Sorry, I'm fighting with my dog as I, as I do all this. I, I, we're in a submission match as I talk about Zack Sabre Jr., but um, yeah, I love that. My low spot. Ah, I'll go with this. This is my low spot. So after that match, that was my high spot. Shota Umino comes out, who's like John Moxley's boy in New Japan. You, you remember him, right, Robert? Of Robert, course, you're not a sleep, my all-time right? favorite. Yeah, I'm fully paying attention. And I'm so he comes out. Low spot. Yeah, <laughs> and he um he challenges Osprey for the November show, uh, for like New Japan's main November show. But what this means to me is if Shota Umino is is doing this, uh, oh, he does. Oh, he goes he to Will Ospreay. He goes, shut your fucking face, Uncle Fucker. He says that to Will Ospreay. And Will Ospreay's like, where did you learn that? And he's like, John Moxley, which is oh, funny. God. That's a high spot. But uh, the low spot is I think they might do it. Wrestle Kingdom. Will Ospreay versus John Moxley instead of Will Ospreay versus a Kenny Omega or, or anybody else. And I love John Moxley. They've had a great match before, but boo, if that's what you're going for. Yeah, that would be, so uh, spot. 
That'd be rough. Um, no, my, when I when I just opened up uh, Twitter, which I always have to just or X, uh, it's called X now to make sure nobody died while we were recording. Um, and you know, were, but uh, the very first thing I saw was a tweet from uh, Ethan Page. We were just talking about him. He is on tonight's episode of Ring of Honor TV against Tony Nice. So, ooh. My high wow. spot. My high spot this there week. There he goes, Ethan Page. My high spot this week. You touched on it. That's was uh, from Raw. The Drew McIntyre, Seth Rollins story that they are telling is really good, guys. Um, you know, I, I I'm sure Dan somewhere is rolling his eyes, but no this this story it makes a lot of sense. It's it's interweaving a whole lot of different stuff. The idea that Drew is challenging Seth. Uh, because he wants to win the title and he wants revenge for beating Brock during the COVID era in that empty building and not getting the recognition he truly deserved. And then the whole him talking to Rhea Ripley in the background, like, is he siding with Judgment Day while Priest is trying to catch in the briefcase? A lot of fun intrigue. And it's the kind of shit that, going back to the beginning, like with with Hunter in charge, it has a purpose. Like it's, it all maps out and is going somewhere. And as a viewer, that's a hell of a lot of fun. My low spot this week. We touched on this one briefly on the Patreon, but the new general manager of Friday night SmackDown is Nick Aldis. Speaking and of we, NWA. And we just recreated the pop he got when they announced him. Um, this dude, he looks great. He's, he looks like a million bucks. The audience did, did not give a fuck about Nick Aldis. And of all the people you could have picked to put out there to be GM, like, I get you can't use Regal. I get it because he's the, the deal that they worked out is you can't put him on there. Um, it would have been really fun if they would have gone with Jamie Noble. He's already there as an agent. He's already really good on camera. And I think the idea of him with that, you know, screechy voice whining and, and, and screaming at folks would be a hell of a lot of fun. And he's got a lot of goodwill with the crowd. All this just feels like a a vacuum of charisma to the point where Adam Pierce felt energized and electric next to him. So <laughs> well, Nick, all this has always had this thing. I actually think he's the last great nwa champion and what i really mean by that is there was like a 15 year period before he was champion where every nwa champion was also in jail at the time like it was ridiculous you know yeah they were competing um, on like wild side in front of like 30 yeah, people man. and right around the time of of the first all in um all this was nwa champion they had him on the show they had him fight cody cody beat him and there was this genuine feeling of importance to the NWA title and not just because Cody won it, but because Nick Aldis had this reign before it that people were kind of paying attention to. The thing about him is he does kind of present like NWA, like this thing from another time that doesn't quite have the electricity as so many people, especially on SmackDown, you know? And so while I love him, I, I think he's a presence. I think he looks good. I think he looks good in a suit. It's just to have him as an authority figure when I know he can go in, in the ring and I could see maybe even a little less of him if you if you have him as a wrestler and not as an authority figure. I know that sounds weird, but yeah, it's just not the move I would go with. 
it's not the move because he has never once been established as anything. Um, and well, that's the, the thing. thing. Like Nick Aldis, and then you go, well, why though? What is he? Right. He's never even worked here. Like, that's don't you always get on Tony like, works I, here? I, I'm an equal opportunity. Like, well, shit. Like, I would get on Tony for this when Tony would bring a guy in, and we're like, wait, I'm supposed to know who this person is because he was on another show. It's kind of what this feels like, and I get they try to do the same parallel that like Adam Pierce was never a competitor in WWE. He was just a guy. Um, this felt odd, but uh, what what didn't feel odd was this week's show. Uh, this was a, Ooh, this was wait. A, what oh, if oh, though? No, 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 go, go ahead. I was I was wrapping it up, but you keep going, dude. What if they it it slowly is like Nick has beef with Cody? That would be fun if you slowly realize he's actually screwing Cody. Yeah, but you're telling a story of uh you're telling a story involving another company, which is something they won't do. But we'll see. Um Scott, what do you want to uh, what do you want to plug? Ooh, you can listen to my other podcast out for Smokes with Mike Racine and Sean McCarthy and our Patreon, where we're gonna talk collision, smackdown. Is there a pay-per-view that we care about? There's oh, no Mystico paper. is on Rampage this week. So I'm like, watch Rampage. You know, he sold like uh, apparently when he was announced. Since they're in Texas, he sold like more than two thousand extra tickets or something. I believe it. He's huge in that region. Um, and also he's huge because people want to see how badly he's going to botch. Part of the <laughs> bring back the trampoline and the blue lights, folks. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at wwcreative underscore ish. Uh, we've got a pro wrestling tease store with the holidays coming up. If you want to pick up some, uh, some cool swag there. Uh, yeah, the uh, $10 Patreon tier, something to sports entertainment. We'll be breaking down raw, getting into the weeds of all the interconnected stories and all the different stuff that happened on Monday night. Uh, but yeah, on behalf of Scott, Mike, Dan, Logan, and all of us here at Russell Rose, best of luck in your future endeavors. And Scott, what do you want to say? What? What, what, wash your hands. Wash your hands. Thanks, everyone.